Good morning, everyone. If you're new here, or I haven't met you, my name is Silas, and I'm the youth director here, but occasionally I get the call up to be an adult director, so <laughs> I get to be here this morning with you all preaching. Um, if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Romans chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 16 and 17, so Romans 1, 16 and 17. These past uh, few weeks, so these past couple weeks, we've been going through Romans, and today we kind of reached this climactic point, right? Paul so far we've read, he, he's had this greeting, this opening, as he's writing this church, as he's writing this letter to the church in Rome. So he's, he's saying, it's so good to just write to you. I want to be with you someday. Last week we talked about how Paul just longs for this community, how it's good to have community. And we finally get to verse 16, which is this climactic point where Paul sets up the theme for the rest of the letter. And the theme is the gospel. So today uh, we get to talk about the gospel and the power of the gospel. So again, Romans 1, 16, and 17, you can follow along in your bulletin, or if you have a Bible, you can follow along there. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray together. God, we thank you um, for being with us this morning. We ask that by your spirit, you would change us, that you would convict us, that you would comfort us, that you would speak to each and every one of us the words that we need to hear this morning. We thank you for your love for us. Um, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have youth group every Wednesday, which is for middle school and high schoolers. So if you know a middle school or high schooler and you, and you know them, tell them to come here at 6.30 on Wednesday because we'd love to have them. Um, if you are a middle schooler or high schooler, join us here on Wednesday at 6.30, all right? But one, a main part of my job, or a big part of my job, is coming up with games to play during that time together, okay? And, and I love this part of my job, but I also hate it because the games are hit or miss. And sometimes you hear from the students, that was the worst game you've ever come up with. <laughs> And then you hear uh, a month later, when, when I forgot about the game, that was the worst game you've ever planned before. It, it never ends. But anyways, there was this one game that I was so excited to play. I found it on some youth ministry website, and I was like, I'm so excited to play this game. This game was called Kumja, okay? I was so excited. If you know, if you know how to play, you can join along as I explain the rules, okay? So basically, everyone stands in a circle, and everyone begins to say, Kumja, Kumja. Kumja, Kumja. Good. And as that's going on, there's this chant of Kumja going on while everyone's standing in a circle. There's someone who begins as the bunny, okay? If you begin as the bunny, you point to yourself twice and you go, bunny, bunny. And then you point to someone else in the circle and say, bunny, bunny. And then once they receive the bunny, then they'll go, bunny, bunny, and point at someone else and say, bunny. Bunny, right? Luke knows how to play. But the, the best part of the game, which I think is Luke's favorite actually, is the people who are right beside the person who is the bunny, so to the right and the left of them, they do some sort of dance, whatever they feel is right, kind of the thing that we've, we've kind of adopted as, as the right dance to do. You do, do this dance and you say, Toki, 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 Toki. So I am really, I'm super excited to play this game. I'm thrilled, okay? 
And so we, we get in the circle, there's probably like 15, 20 of us in the circle, and we're going, Kunja, Kunja, the chant starts, and I go, Bunny, Bunny, and I point at someone else and say, Bunny, Bunny, and they don't know, they, they just drop it, all right? The, it dies down, I'm like, okay, let's restart, okay? So we restart, I say, Kunja, but I look around me, and there's, people start to begin to leave the, leave the circle, and I'm like, Okay, we'll try again, but there's few less people. So we, I start going, kumja, kumja. Eventually, I look up, and it's just me standing there by myself. And, and I see the students around me, maybe even some of the leaders, looking, and they are just embarrassed for me. They're like, what is, what is Silas doing? They're, they're ashamed of what I'm doing. And, and I'm looking at them, and in my head, I'm just like, if you just knew, if you could just understand how amazing this game is, you would be right here in the circle with me, chanting enthusiastically and loudly, Kunja, Kunja. But you don't understand how amazing this game is, so you're ashamed. And I think that Paul is kind of getting at something similar here in this passage. We, we see Paul showing us if you just knew the awesomeness of the gospel, if you just knew the power of the gospel, you would not be ashamed, right? And right, Paul, right off the bat in verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. And Paul had a lot of reasons to maybe shy away from proclaiming the gospel, right? He faced a lot of adversity, and, and both the Jews and the Greeks all, no, no one loved his message, right? He, he, he had a lot of reasons to shy away from proclaiming the gospel. But, but he says that he is not ashamed because he understands that it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God, and Paul understands this. But I think that like Paul, we often have many reasons or excuses for why we shy away from proclaiming the gospel with our words and with our lives, right? Maybe we don't have enough time. Maybe we don't have the resources or the opportunities. Maybe we're not equipped. We're, we're not pastors and really educated people. We haven't taken all these theology classes. So, so we can't share the gospel. We can't proclaim the gospel with our words. Right? We, we have all these excuses, but I think that Paul is showing us something here. That the, the foundation for all these excuses, all those excuses actually mean nothing. But the, the real problem is, is that we don't understand the power of the gospel in our own lives. But I think Paul shows us some good news that we're going to look at. Because the gospel is powerful, because the gospel is powerful, we can proudly proclaim it with our words and with our lives. And we're going to look at three reasons that Paul shows us for why the gospel is powerful. The first reason is that the gospel is powerful because the gospel saves. All right? If you look at verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Right, and by Paul saying this, that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, he assumes that we all need to be saved from something. Right, if he, sa if he says that the gospel can save us, it means that we need to be saved from something. And I think that's, that's part of the gospel message, right, is that things are not as they should be in our world and in our lives. Right? And, and we, we all know that. Things are not, I mean, I'm sure as you just came from a week of just a normal week, you, you know that things are not as they should be in your life and in the world, right? 
and we need saving. And Paul says that the powerful gospel offers the saving for us and for the world. But I think often when we think about salvation, we think about Jesus and having eternal life with him, right? Jesus dying on the cross, he paid for our sins, we can be forgiven, and so we have eternal life with him. And that's oftentimes when we think about salvation, we think about it in that sense, which is true, and that's a good thing to reflect on, right? That is good news, that we, that we can have eternal life with Jesus. But I think we also need to understand the immediate impact of gospel salvation, Yes, the gospel is powerful because it saves us for eternal life with Jesus, but the gospel is also powerful because it saves us from meaningless life right now in this moment as we live right now. So three or four years ago when I was in college, I had this really good friend who came to college with me, um, and he began to deal with really bad anxiety. He'd have panic attacks out of nowhere. Like he would be hanging out with some friends, and all of a sudden he'd have a panic attack, and he just couldn't be there anymore. It, it affected him just going to his classes. It was, debil- it was debilitating for him. He couldn't just go hang out with friends and eat food. And he's telling me all this. He, he's talking to me about this. And I'm just kind of sitting there and understanding. And we're just like realizing just the, the brokenness and the pain and the situation. Right? And I think as Christians, or something that crossed my mind, the way that I wanted to respond was to be like, hey, I know, it's, I know everything is like hard right now, but everything is going to be okay. Like, Jesus is with us. God is with us. We have eternal life. Jesus, Jesus died for us. We have eternal life. We don't have to worry so much about what's going on right now because Jesus died for us, and we have a good life in the future. And that's, that's kind of how I wanted to respond, right? And I think that's often how we want to respond to people who are in pain and who are hurting and broken. But instead of offering him just my words, which are, which are all true and good things to offer him, right? It's good to be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus. But instead of just offering him my words, I, I offered him my time and my company. Right? He, wanted, he wanted to watch a movie, and so we watched a movie, and we turned it into a weekly thing where we just get together and hang out and watch a movie. Or he'd call, and I'd just try my best to answer at any time when he was struggling or having a panic attack or anxious about something. I would just be there to sit with him and sometimes he would just want to rest. He'd invite me over and be like, hey, you just want to sit on this beanbag while I sit in my bed and we can just sit there and maybe talk, maybe not talk. But I, and, and, and that, I think that is how gospel salvation works itself out in the moment. I mean, that, that is healing, right? That is restoration. That is wholeness. That is gospel salvation. It's not just that Jesus has a good future for us, but that Jesus cares about us right now, about making us whole right now. And I think we see this in the life of Jesus, right? We see, yes, Jesus spoke about an eternal life. He spoke about us having an eternal salvation with him in the future. But also, he spent time with those who were hurting, with those who were broken, with the outcast, right, with the poor. And he did this so that he could breathe wholeness and life and restoration and redemption into their lives in the moment. It wasn't just that he was going to, restore them in the future, but he would, wants to begin that restoration right now. So we see that the gospel is powerful because it is salvation for the future, yes, but also it is the Holy Spirit working out salvation in our lives right now, in our lives and through our lives in the moment. So the gospel is powerful because the gospel saves, but Paul shows us that the gospel is also powerful 
because the gospel expands. Okay, the gospel expands. And where does Paul show us this? If you look at verse 16 again, we're going back to verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. If we take a look at the Old Testament, we see God, and he, he has this certain people, right? The Israelites, the Jewish people, right? And as we read that, we read stories of mostly Israelites following God and being relational with him. And there's some exceptions to that, right? But it's mostly God making his promises to this certain nation, the Israelites. And, and, he, and he says he's never going to leave them. He's going to be with them. This, these are his people. But now Paul is adding on to this history. Or rather, God is actually adding on to this history. He's saying, he's saying it's, first it was the Jewish people. Yes, first it was the Israelites. Yes, who, who were God's people. But now his people are expanding beyond that boundary. Right? First to the Jew and also to the Greek. It's expanding. It's going beyond that boundary. And I think we, we even see this reinforced as Paul says earlier in verse 16. For it, it, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's going beyond this initial boundary. The gospel expands. And I think this, this is one of my favorite things about reading the Bible from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, reading the whole Bible, is seeing how the narrative expands from, about being, from being about how God is relational to one person or a couple people, like Adam and Eve, and then God being relational to families, like Abraham and his family, to God being relational to a nation, and then God being relational in loving the whole world. I mean, how powerful and beautiful is that? Just to read and see, wow, God's, the gospel expands. God's love goes beyond just individuals, goes beyond just nations or people, goes to the whole world. Right? The gospel expands to include and be offered to everyone. But I think oftentimes, at least in my life, I've, I've recognized this, we try to sabotage this beautiful and powerful aspect of the gospel. Right? We, we gatekeep and we limit who can be in and out, who, who can know God. The gospel expands, but my, my first instinct is far too often to try and shut those out who I don't believe belong here with me who I don't believe belong uh, as part of God's family. The gospel expands, but sometimes I'll get online and I'll, I'll see someone who claims to be a Christian and then I'll see them acting in a way or, or living out a lifestyle that I don't agree with. And I, I want to put up a wall and I want to keep them out and say the gospel only goes this far. But the gospel actually does the opposite of this, right? The gospel breaks walls down so that more and more people can come through the gospel opens up doors that were locked so that people that we, we maybe never thought could walk through would walk through those doors. And I hope, as I, as I was thinking about this, it's, it's a scary thought, but also a really beautiful thought. I hope that for all of us, that when we arrive to meet Jesus in heaven, we will, be, we will all be joyfully surprised by the people that we meet there, by the people that we see there. The gospel is powerful because the gospel expands. It's big, massive. And let's not miss this point because I think it'll change how we live and who we love today, right now. So the gospel is powerful because the gospel saves. The gospel is powerful because the gospel expands. And the last point that we're going to look at today for why, for why Paul shows us 
that the gospel is powerful is that the gospel equalizes. All right, and we see this in verse 17. For in it, or for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And let's just look at that, that phrase, from faith for faith. For in, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith, right? Some commentators uh, actually say maybe a better translation or a better way to put this, from faith for faith. It's a little confusing just to see that at first. Is maybe to instead say, beginning and ending in faith. So maybe a, another way that you could put verse 17 is that we are made right with God, are made right by our faith. Or, or the gospel reveals God's righteousness to us always by faith, or beginning and ending in faith. From start to end, we are made right with God by faith, and only by faith. There's no other way that we are made right with God except by faith. Right? And Paul actually reinforces this idea by quoting Habakkuk. If you look at the, the end of verse 17, Paul says, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And I don't think that Paul is trying to tell us like a way of life of the righteous. Like the way the righteous go about life is by faith. I think that, that can be true. But I think really what Paul is trying to hit at here is that we are given life, we receive life only by faith. And if, if you have a Bible with you, you might have a note in the bottom, at the, at the very bottom of the Bible, that might say this instead. It might say, um, let's see here. If you, okay, sorry, I'm losing my place here. I'm trying to find the little words. Okay, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. So instead of the righteous shall live by faith, there's an alternative. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. And I think that that is the idea that Paul is getting at here again and again. It's only faith. Faith leads to life. It's only faith. It is only trust in Jesus that gives life and makes us right with God. Right? It's not that we have everything together. It's not that we've worked harder than the person next to us. It's not that we have more or that we have less or that we're more generous. It's not that we've prayed more or that we're here this morning that we're here at church, not that we go to church. It's not that we have all, the, under, all the, the answers and that we understand everything and that we don't have doubts. That's not what it's about. The gospel equalizes by making it all about faith from beginning to end for everyone. And I think that is so opposite to, to what we often find to be true in our world and in our lives, right? I mean, oftentimes, if you think about your life right now or about your past week, I'm sure that something happened that was not fair. Right? And, and I think oftentimes we don't, we don't think that things always should be uh, equal or fair. I mean, if, have you ever looked at someone else's life and thought they don't deserve that? Maybe it's a job or a family or a house or they take vacations all the time and you're like, they don't work hard for those things. They don't deserve that. I deserve this job because I, I work hard for this. I deserve this money because I work hard for this. Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's something that we all value. Right? We all value working hard for the things that we desire. And when we think that we've worked harder than the, than the person next to us, we think that we deserve that thing instead of them. We, we, we value hard work in earning what we get. But also the reality is, is that life is not equal. Right? We, we work harder than people sometimes, and, we don't, and someone who works less hard than us might receive something that we don't receive. Right? Life is not equal. 
And I think that is why the gospel is so powerful, because it goes against the reality of our world and of our lives. It puts everyone on the same standing. It doesn't say you have to work hard. You have to, you have to do your best. You have to know all the answers. You have to have everything together. The gospel doesn't say that. It doesn't base God's love for us on our hard work, but it simply bases God's love for us on trusting that he is enough. A simple thing. A beautiful and powerful thing. I mean, what a, what a powerful message to communicate to those around us, right, with our words and with our lives and our actions. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, for those of you who have kids, what, what a powerful message to communicate to your kids that they are enough, not because they, they have done anything for you or because they can be anything, but simply because you love them, because God loves them. How powerful is that? Right? Or, or to your neighbor or to your coworker who thinks that they have to work really hard to earn their boss's approval, to know that they are enough simply because God is enough for them. That is such a powerful message, that you are enough not because of how hard you work, but simply because God is enough. So we can see that the gospel is powerful because the gospel saves. And it's not just in the future, but the gospel saves right now. It's making things right and whole. And the gospel is powerful because it expands, right? It's not just for certain people, but it's for everyone. And the gospel is powerful because it equalizes. We all have access. You all have access to real and meaningful life. Not by your own effort or by the amount of ability that you have, but only by trusting in Jesus. So, a little over a year ago now, after Cass and I got married and we moved here to New Jersey, we got a dog, like three or four weeks after moving here. And I never had a dog growing up. Okay, my parents really, they, I'm still bitter about it. My parents should have gotten me a dog. And I can say that because they're not here right now. And every time I go to my parents' house or I see them, I'm like, you guys need to get my little brothers a dog so they can have the childhood I didn't have. All right? Because dogs are amazing. Dogs, if you don't have a dog, you got to get a dog, okay? But dogs are amazing. And, and we got our dog, and we were so excited to get a dog. We, we went to the store. We got everything we needed, and we got tons of treats, okay? So many treats. Because dogs love treats, okay? Dogs love treats. And sometimes, I would be sitting, Cass and I, we'd be sitting in our house with our dog. And I'd look over, and I'd see Cass giving our dog a treat. And I'd be like, I want to give our dog a treat. I would get jealous because our dog is so happy that Cass is giving her a treat. I, wanna, I was like, I want to give our dog a treat. I want to give this good news to our dog. So I, I was jealous, and, and I just really want to be the bearer of good news. And the same thing with toys. We'd go to the store sometimes, and we'd come back with a new toy for our dog. And I'd be like, Cass, can I please give the dog? Can I please give someone another toy? Because I, I want to give her a good thing. I want to make her happy. I want to make her joyful. I want to be the bearer of good news to our dog. Right? But I think, I think this actually shows us uh, something about all of ourselves. We, we all want to be the bearer of good news, don't we? Right? That's a desire that we all have. I mean, think about if you're a student here, you got a good grade on a test, or you get into the college that you've always been wanting to get into, your dream school. You go and you tell everyone, right? You, you, you're sitting in class and you get a good grade on a test. You tell the kid next to you, and then maybe they feel bad about themselves, or maybe they're like, I got a better grade, right? But you want to tell them something good, right? Or if, there's, if you have children, or if you know a child, and they scored a goal in a soccer game, you're going to hear about it. 
I, I still like to tell people about goals that I scored when I was seven years old. You know, I, I love that. Or, or if, if for, for people who are having a baby, I mean, what joyful news to share with your family and those around you, right? Or, or maybe it's something that you accomplish in your career, something big and great that you accomplish. That is good news to share. We all love to share good news. And it makes me ask the question, why don't we share the gospel if it's such good news, right? And I think this is it. If we miss the power of the gospel in our own lives, if we miss that in our own lives, then we have no reason to share it. If we don't actually believe that the gospel is good news for us personally, then then why would we want to share it with others? We'd have no reason, right? So as you go about your day today, this morning, maybe tomorrow, Think about these things, okay? Think about this. Is the gospel really good news for you? How how has the love of God that is made manifest in the life and person of Jesus, how has that saved you? And how is that saving you? How is that making your life whole and right? How are you you trusting in Jesus to do that? And it's, it's not just like with physical things, but I mean, Jesus is growing us. Can you look back at your life and see how Jesus has changed you, right? How is Jesus saving you? How is the gospel saving you? And think about this. God's love expands even to you. You know, a lot of the time, I think we, we come to Jesus ashamed 